Good to be back. Thought more of you would be dead by now. <laughs> what an honor it is to be with you. It was an absolute honor to be down at the retirement center that has great security in West Texas on Sunday. That's how Terry <laughs> introduced it. He says, I'm from that retirement community. It's got, it's got super good security. <laughs> He's been on, on death row for somewhere close to 40 years. And 18-year-old uh, under the influence and, and uh, shot a Marine, right? I think that's what the, I might ask Terry. But um, a few years ago, well, it's been six, something like that. Um, David Bass comes to me and he says, Paul, there's, there's a guy on, on death row who, whose life was absolutely flipped because of the shack. Would you write him a note? And I said, nope, but I'll go with you next time. And, um, and that's what started my relationship with Terry and a bunch of the other guys down there. And I'm telling you, in a world where most of us live in prisons we can't see, they're some of the freest men I've ever known. And uh, Sunday we were down there. I didn't know I was the main speaker. In fact, I thought I was there to visit two specific guys, one whose death date was June the 6th, and uh, June 9th, June 9th. And uh, his attorneys had communicated with us, and so we planned a trip. Harold is his name. We planned a trip, Kim and I, and a 5,200-mile-plus road trip, of which we're halfway through right here in Nashville, in order to see Harold and then also to see Terry. So we showed up, and, and Terry's like, I mean, Terry goes, gets Harold. Harold sits down with us, and Harold says, so what do you want to talk about? We're like, well, what do you want to talk about? He says, I don't know. I said, Harold. This whole trip is because you wanted to have some time with me. And Harold's like, I never asked for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And um, I'm telling you, being there that Sunday night was absolutely smack in the middle of a whole confluence of different things and was exactly the place that I was supposed to be on Sunday night. We had a, a gathering of the guys. We had this unbelievably fantastic, we, we spent about three hours there. Terry had already prepared communion and that's how we ended. And um, you know, these guys, if you haven't heard, uh, they have a little woodworking shop and they make gifts for kids and, and gifts for people that they love. and. Um, and they also built what they call the Table of Reconciliation. It seats about 12, and it sits in their little um, library. And the agreement with the, there's now 42 guys left on death row. Um, the agreement is that, that if any of them have an issue or a conflict, they will meet at the Table of Reconciliation and they will work it out. And a lot of times, Terry becomes the mediator in those conversations. And um, so 
we've asked Terry to join us. Um, there is a there is a real shift that is taking place finally in terms of our recognition that punitive retributive justice, another name, uh, it's a sweet sounding phrase for vengeance is what it is, but that that, that, is not, that is not the justice of human beings in relationship to each other. Um, uh, there is a writer named George MacDonald who was C.S. Lewis's mentor he also influenced people like Mark Twain and all the, uh, you know, the guys, the guy J.R. Tolkien and all these guys. And he said, in terms of one of his most incredible chapters, is uh, called Justice. And he said, here is true justice when you make the enemy your brother. That is what justice truly is. Anything less than that is not justice. It's some form of retribution. And, um, and we have watched that happen. Now, our justice system doesn't allow for that. Hey, Terry. Hey, good morning. Ha. Uh, everybody, want to say hi to Terry? And good morning to everyone. So, uh, Terry, I told him you're in a retirement community with good security. You want, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm definitely here, that's for sure. <laughs> I've been here for a long time. How many 39 years? years this August. How many? 39 years this August. Yeah. So, so what, what got you there? Uh... Back in 1983, I got some trouble. I ultimately was convicted of, uh, two counts of murder. Uh, it happened uh, in a span of about a month, um, and got in trouble for that. That ultimately landed me on death row. Yeah. And, and what were you like when you first came into death row and, and, and what's happened to you over, over the years? Well, I was a young, arrogant punk kid that thought the world owed me and I owed the world nothing. And Honestly, I, I was on death row for a long time until I read your book, Paul the Shack. And I know you know my story, but for the people that don't, that book just changed my life forever. It opened my eyes to what I had done, who I had become, and I felt shame more than I've ever felt in my entire life. And, and talk to me about what happened? What were the events that surrounded that kind of encounter? Well, in particular, chapter 11, uh, the chapter, uh, at least the book that I have, is Here Comes a Judge. And when Mac uh, had entered into that, that cave, if you will, and had a conversation with Sophia, who represents in the book The Wisdom of God, and he, he, he realized the depth of his sin, you know, uh, and, and wanting, given an opportunity to pick which one of his children would go to heaven and which one would go to hell, he immediately took, wanted to take their place. And as a result, you know, he, he, he couldn't take their place, but he wanted to. And that's the same love that Jesus has for us. 
he did take our place. He did pay the penalty for our sin, and and we can be redeemed through Jesus Christ. So that's been a few years. Tell me. It has. Yeah. yeah. I read it back in 2010. Yeah, not too long after it came out. So um, That's true. Yeah. So tell me what's going on in, in terms of your life, in terms of what's happening in the community there. And, well, anything that you want to share that's on your heart. I'm just, like, stepping sideways here and let you talk to the guys. Oh, okay. Uh, well, you know, I've, like I said a moment ago, that book opened my eyes to just how crazy my thinking was. I used to look around at some of the guys here and think that I was better than them because I hadn't done what they had done. There was a couple of guys here who was uh, convicted of taking a child's life, similar to what happened to Missy. And uh, and uh, as a result of that, I, I thought I was better than them, but yet I, I knew that I was not, but I thought that I was. and. And I felt shame beyond shame, and that's what that book did. It opened my, it opened my eyes and my heart to just how ragged I was, and how foolish I was, and how twisted my thinking was to think that I was better than them. And not like a outer body experience, Paul, but I stepped outside of myself when I when I read the shack in particular chapter eleven. And I felt raw. I felt completely like naked, like I had no clothes on. And I wanted to hide. I, I didn't know where to hide because God's everywhere. But I, I, I knew that I, what I had done was a, a, a grievous thing of thinking I was better than other people. But more so, what the book did also is I've known that I took the life of a human being. But that book opened my eyes and my heart to the fact that I took the life of one of God's creations. And I, I mean, it was like, oh my God, what have I done? It was bigger than the taking of the life of a human being. It was the taking of the life of one of God's creations. And, uh, you know, as I've shared with you before, but I wanted to get underneath my bunk and hide, but I, you can't hide from God. God's everywhere. And, and so that's what that book has done to me. That book's really stirred a lot of, uh, opened a lot of people's eyes here to, to who they were and, and who they can be in Christ and it's just been an amazing thing and I, I think as I shared with you when we finally got to see the movie uh, a couple years ago uh, finally at last it just really stirred a lot of uh, conversation people that had never spoke about God began to have a conversation and and see the significance and the, the, the message behind that behind that book what kinds of things have you been able to be a part of as as you watched God not only change your heart, but so many of the hearts there. I know a bunch of the guys in the Bible study have been executed in the last while. You know, they, it seems to be that the guys in your Bible study who absolutely love Jesus have been particularly the ones that um, have had to go face um, uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a very overt sort of way. But... Sure. Yeah, but even in the last few years, what are the, what are some of the things that you've been able to engage with, and and the guys, both on both in terms of the guys on on death row, but also in terms of the larger community. Oh, uh, well, I mean, 
to your point, what you were talking about, yeah, you're right about that. A number of the people that 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 was in our community of Bible study that we had, uh, you know, several of them have been executed. You know, it's it's uh, it's tough to see that. It's hard to see a member of your community just to be taken out like that. The uniqueness of this unit, if it's anything, we all have the exact same sentence. We're all sentenced to death. And when something happens to one of the members of the community, it happens to all. You know, just, I, I would I would dare say it's uh, no different than a family. Uh, for the simple reason, when you lose someone in your family, we all mourn, we all grieve, and we all are saddened by that. But, um, if I understood your question, I've had the privilege of speaking like this, and uh, my friend David, who uh, uh, went down late last year to a uh, group of men who is going through uh, rehab and that sort of thing, and I've had the privilege to speak to them and talk about the significance of the shack in my life and how God has just opened my eyes to the fact of just how vile the center value used to be and uh, why I'm ashamed of my past. You know, I, I can't undo it. I don't live there. It's not even real. I mean, it's gone. And I know why other, people's wanna, other people want to judge me and condemn me and maybe even try to put me to death because of my past. My past is my past, and, and I refuse to live there. I know I've been forgiven. I know it without a shadow of a doubt. And God has went out his way to prove to me that of his forgiveness. So <laughs> I've always been the type of person, if you love me, show me. And God has certainly got my attention in a major way. You like to do this uh, little exercise. You want to do it? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I would like to ask everyone, that includes you, Paul, and, okay. and you, Wes, to just close your eyes just for a moment, please. And uh, I want you to bring to mind the worst thing you've ever done in your life. You will not be asked to reveal it or to share the information with anyone, so be honest with yourself. Do you see it? Do you remember what it was? Now, imagine if you can, for just a second, that is the only thing anyone knows about you. No matter what good else you've done in your life, no matter what good you would do tomorrow or the next day, that's all anyone will ever know. That's what I live with daily. You can open your eyes now. I just wanted you to kind of think about that for a moment and um, I uh, you know it's, people only know the worst thing I've ever done and um, who wants that and who wants to be judged only by that you know and but that happens to all of us here and there's no way of escaping it sometimes when you know the media and different folks that's all they want to talk about you know they'll never talk about any good that doesn't fit their narrative but yeah do you, do you remember that little women's bible study group that asked to talk to you oh yeah down in atlanta yeah i forgot about that my friend david we know some people in atlanta rome georgia and uh they have a a really uh i guess probably a very wealthy little book club down there and they'd all read the shack and 
my friend David, who always speaks of me and is not ashamed of me, shared with them the impact that book had upon my life. And they invited me to speak to that book club down there. And while I, while I here, I can't see no one. I couldn't see the ladies down there, but I guess one of the ladies before I called in had started asking my friend, David, uh, some questions. Well, how long has he been on death row? Well, why haven't we executed him yet? <laughs> stuff like that. And stuff like that. He immediately told me later, he said, oh, Lord, what have I got him into? <laughs> and so, uh, I, anyway, I had the privilege of speaking to those ladies and sharing with them the impact that your book had upon my life, Paul. And at the end of our little conversation, that lady who wanted to know why I hadn't already been executed and why I taxpayers dollars going to keep me housed here stopping you know was the most uh, uh talkative person to me and invited me to speak again at a later date and so you know i you know i just <laughs> that's that's the one you're referring to are you yep yep that's it <laughs> a couple other things i want to say Please. but you know uh the um you know the the, the reason that the shack means so much to me other than what I just said is that started my journey of, of looking deep within who I was and asking God for forgiveness. But there's been some incredible stuff happening in my life that I just want to briefly share if I got a moment or two. If that's you do. Okay. Fire away. Um, in 2013, I received a letter from Mary McPherson, who was the girlfriend. Uh, I, as I said a moment ago, I have two cases of the of a man that was had his life taken. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I was not. I, I did not pull the trigger. I did not take this individual's life, but I was present when it happened. And I got this letter from her. She was a girlfriend of him. Uh, 30 years ago when that crime had happened, that was in 2013 when I got that letter. Her letter was scathing in there. You know, you did this, 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 and that. You all, you know, but what's so significant about that to me is her forgiveness was in there. She said, but I want you to know I forgive you. And the Todd, the young man's name was Todd. She said, I want you to know that to Todd that I knew in love, he too would want you to know he forgives you. And I tell you, that just... I mean, that was just the most incredible letter I'd ever gotten. After about two weeks, I, I wrote her immediately, but about two weeks after getting her letter, my lawyers arranged for a three-way call to talk to her. And I wanted to offer her an opportunity to ask me anything she wanted to ask me. I owed her that and so much more. And it never became a question and answer thing. She just, we just talked, and our phone calls are set up on 30-minute increments. And if I stay on here long enough, you'll hear a one-minute beep here in a minute on the 29-minute mark. So about 27 minutes into the conversation, she started crying, and she said, God wants me to tell you something. I said, huh? She said, God wants me to tell you I love you and I forgive you. Not that she loved me and forgive me, but that God did. I can tell you like I did when I got her letter of forgiveness. I got off the phone and I began to weep, realizing the significance of what she just said to me. We, we began, began to write more and talk more, and she eventually moved to Nashville, Tennessee, from New York Mills, Minnesota, and spent about a year with me, visited me twice a week. And, and, um, 
shortly after, I, I have a co-defendant. I asked her, I said, why do you forgive me and not my co-defendant? Because she said she prayed all winter long in 2012 and early 2013 about what to do. And she kept hearing the Holy Spirit tell her that I'd asked for and I deserve forgiveness. I'm not saying that. That's what she said. And it just had a huge, huge impact upon me. And after about three or four months visiting me, she looked at me one day. She said, Terry, it's time for you to forgive yourself. And I remember being very emotional, kind of like I am now, reminiscing about the moment. And while it didn't happen overnight, I have forgiven myself. At the risk of sounding arrogant, I I am. I know I've been forgiven. I don't carry the baggage of my past anymore. I don't. I'm not weighed down by my sin, by my past. I'm just not. And I know I've been forgiven. I know Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I know on the third day He rose and He sits at the right hand of the Father. So I tell everyone, how arrogant would I be not to accept and receive that forgiveness? Because my sin put Christ on the cross. He died for me. He would have died for me if I was the only person on earth, just like he would die for you or the next person. And so how arrogant would I be not to receive and embrace that forgiveness that I've been for that I've been given. And uh, I walk much lighter these days. I, I, I don't look over my shoulder to the past. I just don't. And uh, I love who I am today. And I can tell you, I hate who I used to be, but I love the man I am today. And I love the man you are. I love you, Terry. You Thank know you. that. I do, Paul. I love you, my friend. You and Wes. And I just want to say again, the, the communion Sunday night, it just uh, meant so much to all the guys I was here. just go I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah, I just uh, thank you so much. Uh, it meant a lot to everybody. We, you know, just uh, it, everyone's talking about it and just how special that was and and how meaningful that was for all of us. And uh, and just thank you for being here and thank you for partaking and, and, and participating. Man, it was awesome. It was awesome, and uh, <clears throat> it was it was no no different in terms of quality than any communion that I've ever been a part of. But, you know, every communion is, has its own uniqueness. And there's, there was just, I've never had an experience in which the, the prison and the walls and the bars are so obvious, as well as the freedom of all of those who participated was so obvious. You know, the, oh, it, it was really a celebration. And Wes and I have been talking about how much joy was present in the midst of that celebration. And, um, and for Wes, you know, you set that up. And then Wes um, was the one who led us in that communion. And, and just even as we broke the bread and went around that circle, and each one of them gave the bread to the person next to them and told them something that was on their heart to say, even if it was, I need you to know that I really love you or thank oh, you for this. I know it was, it was too beautiful for words, truly. You know, I agree. And you know, as 
if you remember the circle, I gave the bread to Purvis Payne. Yeah. And it, it's easy for me. It was easy for me to tell him I love him because I do and how I'm going to miss him when he's gone, and I will. So those things that were on my heart was easy to share with anyone. I would have shared it if the president of the United States had been sitting in the room because it doesn't change my feelings for that man. He He's an incredible guy, and he's been a wonderful, loyal friend to me, and, and I do love him, and I will miss him when he's gone, and he will be gone soon. But, but uh, you know, honestly... Around 4 o'clock when I came over from the Arts and Crafts building, it's just like the board laid it on my heart. We need to do communion tonight. And and I and I went and asked KB, and I, I was able to obtain the unleavened bread and, and everything else that was needed. It, it, you know, it was just beautiful, and I, I, just, I just loved it, and everyone else did as well. And so I thank you. Oh, my God. Of my heart. That, was, that was incredible. So... Um, What's in front of you now? What's what's the next moment and the next right step? Uh, do you mean kind of like on my my case and stuff, or what do you mean? Yeah, no, just in terms of the things that are on your heart. Oh well, I just want to continue to be a, a beacon of light for Christ. For to, if you know if, if if anyone can see the light Christ in me through the light that I shine. That's all I want to do with the rest of my life. And to be able to share with everyone what Christ has done for me. And, you know, if he can change the hearts of the vilest of sinners, he can change anyone's heart, you know? I mean, but that's what the Scripture's all about. I mean, you know, the Christ forgiving, you know, I mean, the... You know, the scripture at First Peter 3.15 talks about, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you the reasons for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And that's what I want to do for the rest of my life, why I have hope in my life. And, and, and if I can do that on a much larger scale or, or just with one person, hey, I'm excited to do it because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be a beacon of life for others to follow. Say, look at my little life here. It's flashing, come, you know, and, and the, the Christ is a result of that, and Christ can be a, a light in you as well. And that's all I want to do the rest of my life, Paul, no matter how long I got, whether I got another 39 years or another day, I just want to be a beacon of life for others to follow. Uh, Terry, you're a treasure, and I'm so grateful for the redemptive genius of God in your life and uh, the ripple effect um, that you have and continue to have. And um, I do have one question, and that is, what, what sponsored someone to build the table of reconciliation? What's the story behind that? Well, we've become a community here, and... Um, kind of no different than a community out there but it's a, it's a place where that we can come and if there's any issues amongst the brethren we come and we discuss it there and we we leave it there that's kind of what we've always done and no matter whether you're black or whether you're white or who you are we can all come there and resolve any differences that we, we may have and discuss any issues that we may have and also plans of stuff that we want to do within our community from, you know, seeking different people coming in to, to whatever. But any issue 
that where one brother has with the other, we go, we sit at that table, and it, it stays there. It, it, it don't, it doesn't leave the table. You know, it's like you, it's like you dump it all off at that table. If you leave it there, you don't take it with you. And and but uh, that's kind of how we, the reason we did that. Tell um, tell the brothers here about um, the night that you and Ron, the guards, forgot you outside. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was we we don't ever stay out late at night, never. And um, and it was a, it was in the winter, and uh, we were left out on the rec yard. It kind of got busy. I mean, when I say yard, it's a cage. It's not a yard like you walk on grass. We always walk on concrete here in the unit but so we're secure in a cage and everything and they were just late coming out and getting us and it was dark and ron said man should we say some i said oh no they'll they'll remember us eventually right and uh but just standing out looking at the stars never see that because of all because right you know right next to the unit is uh these big lights and it's hard to see and but seeing just being out at night was just a strange, strange feeling. And it was just awesome being able to just to see the magnificence of God's work in the sky, the stars and stuff. And it just, it was absolutely beautiful. Have, have you stepped on grass yet? No. Oh, that's something I missed. Boy, I'm glad you brought that up. No, I've not walked on grass forever. You know, if I can tell a quick story right quick, I went back to court in 2017, and I never walk on soft carpet. So when I went into court, before I got into court, they took me back behind the judge's chambers, and I had to wait. And I'm standing there waiting to go in. Of course, I'm shackled and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. Got waist chains on, leg irons on and stuff. And, and I'm standing on this carpet, and it, it has like a cushion underneath it. And, and it's, it's almost like I'm losing my balance. And the officer who was standing, he said, what on earth is wrong with you? I said, I don't walk on carpet. It's it's foreign to me. I don't, I feel like I'm going to lose my balance. He said, man, I've never thought about that. I walk on it all the time. I just take that for granted. But standing, I mean, it just literally felt like the, the floor was shifting underneath me. It was so soft and people were looking at me. But it, I know it looked weird, but I'm always on concrete. I'm always on something solid. So to be on something so soft, wow. it's just incredible. I, it, but anyway, thanks for listening to me, man. I just, I love you with all my heart. I don't want to take up any more of y'all's time. I know how busy y'all are, you brothers together there. And I don't want to ruin any message of hope that you might be able to have time to share with those guys either. Hey, and uh, tell me what freedom means to you. Freedom? Yeah, I'm free now. I'm free now, Paul. I know you are. That was such a theme on Sunday, right? Who who was the brother? Oh, who was the brother that got up you and started? One minute. Started remaining. preaching. Started at twenty nine minutes. <laughs> What's I, that, Paul? I was just. There was a brother who started. <clears throat> was it? Uh, <clears throat> who was that? That started talking about our freedom and the fact that <clears throat> these walls don't define freedom. That was. That guy's name was Akil. He oh, was the one who started talking about that. And, and Don yeah. Middlebrook, too. He's like... He did, too. Absolutely. Yeah, he says, oh, look, Absolutely. these bars and these walls, they don't define freedom at all. They're just a joke, right? Because our, exactly our freedom right. is in here, in our hearts, inside That's these exactly relationships. Right. 
Well, brother, I know that uh, she's going she's gonna to drop you. And, uh, and um, again, I want to express my love for you. I can't wait till the next time I get to actually see you and hug you. And uh, Man, I love you guys. God bless you. Keep me in your prayers. We will. All right, brother. Thank you for using GTL. You're welcome. We did that similar kind of thing where Terry dropped in. I was speaking at the um, St. Henry's Cathedral and um, here in Nashville. There were like 700 people all well-dressed. And, and, uh, and me and Ron, uh, me and David, we, uh, we schemed together and didn't tell anybody, right? So nobody knew that Terry was going to drop in. And about 15 minutes into my conversation, I got the call brought Terry into that call. And again, we had 30 minutes. And I, I watched as Terry talked. And, and I watched him absolutely humanize what had been a category. There's a category called those guys on death row. You know, it's just a category. And so you lump everybody into the category. And what that, did you know that in the Greek, in the New Testament, the word for accuser or to accuse is kategorizomai. It's to create a category in which you put somebody. You, you don't recognize their humanity. You just put them into a category. And, and, and think about that, because when we talk about that denomination or those people um, who are liberals or those uh, right-wing conservatives or those anti-vaxxers or those who are vaxxers, or we constantly divide and divide and divide and divide and we participate in the, the power of the accuser in that categorizing. Does that make sense to you? And one of the things that we can begin to fight against the darkness in the world is to resist categorizing. You know, in my relationship with my dad, I don't even know how much time I've got. One minute. I have a very difficult relationship with my dad since I was little. He, I, I was hoping he would one day become a dad to me. And he didn't have the, he did, just didn't have the capacity to do it. He, he had been obliterated in his childhood, but I didn't know that. And so my whole life, basically, I've been waiting for him to show up. And he didn't, he couldn't do it. He's now 92, and on his 80th birthday, I really had a little conversation with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like, Paul, your dad... He hasn't been, a, he hasn't known how to be a father for 60 years. He's not going to figure it out. And then I hear, if it's all right with you, how about if I am all that to you and more? And what I did is I took my dad and released him from my expectations so that he could become a human being. And now in the last 12 years, we're building a relationship face-to-face -face as one human being to another without all the expectations 
that he show up according to the category of being a dad. Does that make sense to you? And so it's like, okay, even in this morning, even in this conversation, it altered something in most of us, I would, I would assume. And that is that we've had a category of those guys. And it's been, it's been a, a way that the media has portrayed them, the movies have portrayed them, and it's like those worthless people or those people who deserve to die. Or I don't know, but we have these categories. And when you hear this brother and you begin to sense his heart, even in the humility of saying, don't tell anybody about this, right? And, uh, and he, I mean, he's, he truly means it. On the row, he's a peacekeeper. He's the one that mediates this. He has studied law in order to help the guys. And there are guys on there that we're all convinced never, never should have been accused to begin with, right? And there are guys, but they are very clear about what they've done. They're not, you know, they're truth tellers. They're not trying to make excuses. They're none of that. It is like, this is my life. I own it. And, um, and, it's, and it's so, it's like the man born blind. Did his parents sin or did he sin? Right? And Jesus is like, irrelevant question. It's so today the glory of God will be revealed. And that's what's happening to Terry and Harold and Katie and Oscar, these guys on death row. You want to know something? We're all on death row. It's just a matter of time. And theirs is a little more obvious, but that obviousness actually has allowed them to move into a place of freedom that our, that our the ways that we live don't allow for us. And it's like, what's the day that I have? Only today. Only today. The real world, eternal life is only today and in this moment. This is where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in you, is today. So take today and live in that relationship and in that freedom. Make the next right choice. Be a truth teller. Fight against fear in your own life. Stay present to the praise of the glory of his kindness. Amen.